Welcome to the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. We are ready to believe you. Is it Ghostbusters? Yes. Woo! <laughs> Is it the first Ghostbusters? Yeah. I, didn't I already do it? Oh, one? did you? <laughs> did you Whatever. do that one, though? Not, Not that, that quote, quote. Oh, okay. but... Are we only allowed to do a movie one? I don't know. Here, I could do another There's one, no but rules. I don't know how to shoehorn Dan Aykroyd in otherwise. I, I know. I want to like, talk I about I was like, him. well, I know it's a Dan Aykroyd movie. <laughs> Did you watch um, <laughs> Oh, Nothing But Trouble? Okay. So I saw on Reddit, um, like, a, just a post about the weirdest movies. Like, uh-huh. what's your weirdest, like, childhood movie? And someone, the person who posted, it was Nothing But Nothing But Trouble. Yeah. And I haven't seen it. So I started watching it last night and it was just too much. It's so like weird. I had to I'm gonna have to watch it in increments. Okay. Like, oh my gosh. It was on recently and I watched part of it and I was just like, yeah, what this is like a fever dream from my childhood. <laughs> I like I can't even picture what movie that was. Um, I don't know if I saw it. Yeah. I think you'd remember. You'd re- you'll remember like <laughs> the marketing for it, I think. Demi Moore is in it and she like has like the short hair and like beautiful white dress and like Chevy Chase and gosh Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd were like so big in our family I'm amazed that I don't remember it's it. a weird one John Candy was in it too that's oh, right yeah. this is another one of my dad's it was, like, it was like early 90s when it came out yeah 91 yeah um so I want to talk about Dan Aykroyd <laughs> a little bit which is why I chose that because um I okay Dan Aykroyd is like he's a spiritualist Uh and as a person he's like very ghoul's guide to santa barbara like (laughs) in what he believes in cool like even more so because he believes in aliens which is funny because he believes in all the stuff that like we're skeptics about yeah so he's more ghoul's guide than we are (laughs) but like oh my gosh so that's why he wrote ghostbusters because his family has like this whole history of being a spiritualist family so i'm reading this book wait he wrote ghostbusters yeah Yeah. oh sorry okay so let me give you my (laughs) attribution uh ghostbusters 1984 directed by ivan reitman written by harold ramus and dan Aykroyd. and ivan reitman who can uh... still get it (laughs) wait dan Aykroyd? yeah (laughs) or ghost harold ramus (laughs) oh no (laughs) no sex with a ghost (laughs) wait that was in ghostbusters right oh it was dan Aykroyd wrote himself that scene that was so yeah watching ghostbusters with uh my children being very excited to introduce them i forgot about the The ghost sexual tones (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i forgot about it too and then i rewatched it and was like oh ivan reitman's a was a Santa Barbara dude, Montecito. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. So I feel like this should be a topic because, yeah. <laughs> but I'd have to, we'd have to jump and do what you suggested of six degrees of Santa Barbara. Kind yeah. of. But, um, so in Canada, going way back to like the or very early 20th century, Dan Aykroyd's family, they had this farmhouse that was like the destination for people in town to come and go to seances. <gasps> Whoa. Interesting. And there's this... So his dad wrote a book because his dad was, like, cleaning out um, Dan Aykroyd's uh, great-grandfather's house after he died. Uh-huh. 
and he found diaries this guy's diaries oh cool in a trunk and so the book pulls from the diaries i haven't read all of it yet but it's so good and there's a quote in it that's like the young grandpa is like looking out the window and seeing all these people like arriving at the farmhouse or whatever and it goes they have come from town to speak to the dead i wonder if uh did you see the most recent did you no. see Ghostbusters Afterlife? Mm-mm. They moved to like a little farmhouse. They did. Oh yeah, they I do. I wonder if that is referenced to. Um, and the cool thing also is that the way that the Ackroyd family like got into the seances and ghost stuff is that the great grandpa was a dentist. And that makes sense, even though I know it doesn't sound like it does. But because there was like really poor mechanisms for pain Pain control, pain control. What is? What am I trying to say? Pain killing, <laughs> pain killers, pain relief, anesthesia, like or um, no? Like, I guess I don't know. Like I numbing, think maybe anesthesia. Yeah, like during and after the yeah. procedures or whatever. Okay. And so a lot of dentists got into hypnotism, oh. which they were they called mesmerism. I don't know if that matters, but like to try to like get the patients to just like be hypnotized out of their pain. It was uh-huh. like mainstream for dentists interesting and so yeah that was like their little nexus in or whatever yeah, so spiritualism yeah, yeah wow and so like dan slippery slope. believes in all that stuff and so, and i'm into that yeah i love that for him okay <laughs> so, so the anyway. book is called the history of ghosts oh yeah thank you okay and it's by peter Eckert. um can i also tell you so i just searched peter Eckert on the library app uh-huh. and another book by him shows up called <laughs> The Anniversary Compulsion, Canada's Centennial Celebrations, a model mega anniversary. <laughs> Interesting. Rich tapestry. Anyway. Yeah. Fun. I would also just like to really quickly say that recently at a, I went to the theater uh-huh. to see a movie and saw a preview. They're doing another Ghostbusters movie. They are. And I am super excited. This one has everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I saw that ad. There's also apparently a Ghostbusters cookbook. What? (laughs) What that? What recipes are in that? I don't know. An omelet? (laughs) I know, right? I don't know. Let me see. A portal to another dimension in your fridge? Yes. (laughs) It doesn't say in the little description, but anyway. I bet there's like a marshmallow fluff. Oh, yeah, there has to be. Episode. Oh, right. Marshmallow recipe, yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, other side note, I have such powerful nostalgia for the first Ghostbusters movie that when I was rewatching it, um, I I cried when the siren, the oh. e- Ecto-1, <laughs> uh-huh. when their little car, the siren is going. Like, I just, like, my stomach clenched up and my eyes, like... Oh. You'll probably, like, if you watch the new the new one, it's, yeah. like, heavy nostalgia. That's and, why I haven't yeah. watched it. Yeah. I, like, don't want to, like, weep. I'm yeah. not at a point was, in my life where me. I'm, like, resilient enough for it. But, um, yeah. So that's my movie quote. And I'm sorry I did one that we'd already done. No, that's okay. But... Uh, if there's if there's, a, if there's a movie that we can repeat, I'm happy to repeat Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> Great. I'm going to do next next time. It'll be like, back off, man. I'm a scientist. One day I'm going to so do, quotable. we got one. Exactly. Yes. If any of you listeners ever write in to us so Liz can do her quote. Yes. Yay. Oh, boy. Well, okay. this is the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara, and I'm Liz. 
I'm Jen. And I'm Summer. <laughs> Yay. And today, Jen is going to tell us about the murder of Dwight Falding. Are you familiar with the Falding Hotel in downtown Santa Barbara? Why, oh. yes. <laughs> okay, sort of. But could you clarify? Because there are a few, like, quote unquote, hotels. But are they really hotels? And is that one of them? Like, is it a hotel you can stay in? No, or is it like a so. boarding house like, or a, yeah. an so, institution like a of some kind? house? kind of thing i'll get to that okay actually. let's we'll just they we'll get started yeah <laughs> yeah oh gosh <laughs> yeah that's is that in so your... uh no <laughs> no but um yeah so basically falding hotel in downtown santa barbara and its namesake is the subject of today's story i'm excited to tell you guys this one because it's my favorite kind of story a maritime disaster <laughs> and we are sharing this with the blessing of a direct relative of the family who suggested it to us personally so we are so we did get one just yes. via email oh yeah you should have shouted <laughs> we got one <laughs> um yeah so i don't want to like I don't want to talk too much about like, yeah, but we are, we are friends with, with a relative. Um, and he said, Oh, you got like, did you know about this? And so, uh, so we are telling this story with the blessing of his family. Um, so let's get into it. What do a prisoner at San Quentin, <laughs> Captain Morgan rum, 6,000 pounds of Mexican marijuana, the last known act of piracy in California, <gasps> and Errol Flynn have to do with the Falding Hotel? Oh, the word salad. <laughs> <laughs> well, to answer that question, we have to start with a man named Dwight Doris Falding. Doris? Doris or Doris? It's I D-O-R-I-C-E, it. and I probably should have just, like, I don't know, at the very least, uh, I like gotten it. the correct pronunciation. Either way, it's fun. Yes. Uh, Dwight was born in 1888 in Santa Barbara to Mervyn Coulter Falding and his wife, Emma J. Falding. He was the oldest of four children. He ran the photography store that was founded by his father in 1905. Wow. And he was also a professional photographer. He's credited on many of the photos of the aftermath of the 1925 earthquake. Wow. So, like, if you look at any, like, historical photos from around that time in Santa Barbara um, most of the time they are credited to Dwight Falding. Cool. Oh interesting. Um, <laughs> you look like you searched something interesting up. No I was just was I, was, it how to I had a mental picture of him being like smile like, <laughs> the funny one. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. The rubble. Yeah like the ruins of their lives. Oh. Uh, Dwight seemed like a really fun guy by all accounts. Uh, he loved photography and travel and having fun. Uh, he's smiling his favorite. Smiling's his favorite. He's described in one of the uh, articles that I read as being rich and foolish enough to have bought a plane, which he took up without a single flying lesson, oh my God. and then crashed it on a street in Santa Barbara. What? Uh, I love this man, and I aspire to that lifestyle. I know. Um, I also, our friend uh, told me that there's, like, some story that's, like, passed along their family. And I don't know if this is, if it's, like, related to this or, like, he told me this in passing, and I should, and I thought that I'd be able to, like, research it, but I couldn't find any more information on it. But he said that there was, like, 
a at one point they used to race airplanes down state street what uh <laughs> and like he just like entered on a whim and won like i don't know whether they would just like roll them down state street or so, i don't know that's um, bizarre or fly over state street? yeah and there was apparently like clubs for like amateur pilots in town amateur pilots. And, uh, <laughs> uh like the 20s yeah Okay, amateur pilots. <laughs> I know, and I'm I'm imagining them like the irritating, like twenties football fan dudes that have like the enormous fluffy fur coats. Like, yeah, the goggles. Yeah, they all look like uh, what's his name? Well, well, they said that he has like a little pencil mustache okay. and he's like well dressed and well polished. Okay. Um, but then like uh. I read something about how there was like an airfield over by where Cottage Hospital is now. Uh-huh. Um, and it had like this cutesy nickname about like, it was like hay bale, something other, because it was like a field. It was kind of like an ag field. And they used to have to like move the hay bales around to like get the planes in and out. Like, okay. it was just like a dirt field that they would land their little airplanes in. Interesting. Okay. That seems like um, such a small area to land a plane. I know. I know. Um, I couldn't find a whole, like, I tried to get more information about um, Dwight's kind of early life it, it sounds amazing but i couldn't find a whole lot of um written record on it so um dwight was married to etta bell falding etta bell. um i don't know a whole lot about her history i did try to find some information when i was trying to you know just find more about their life back then um etta seems to have been a photographer as well uh a bunch of the um like portraits uh, and in the at the Santa Barbara Historical Museum on their website are credited to her. Huh. Um, so it looks like maybe she was like a portrait photographer or something. Oh, um, couldn't hear that when you turned your head away. Sorry. It, <laughs> so it seems like maybe she was a portrait photographer or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and then I did uh, find, oh, I have this later, but I'm just going to say it now. I did find a record where like, Apparently the like board of supervisors used to they would at their monthly meetings they would basically like call out everyone who had jury duty that month. Huh. And uh and she was in the, on the list of like one okay. like min- meeting minutes that I was able to find online. Mm-hmm. Um so she did serve jury duty or at least she was called for jury duty once. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much all I could find about Edda. By 1922, the Faldings were building their namesake hotel at the location of number 15 and number 17 East Haley Street in downtown Santa Barbara. The hotel had 72 rooms and 45 bathrooms. Would you like to take a stab at (laughs) how much it cost? To build or to... To to stay in? To stay in? No, to build. build. Like how much they paid for the hotel. In what year? 1922. Hmm. 20,000. I don't know. $75,000. Wow. That's more than I expected, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I thought so too. Yeah. I don't know if that's like for the property or like what it was going to cost. Because it says at the time that the building permit was pulled. So I think that was what it was going to huh. cost to build the hotel. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. By 1935, Dwight and Etta had separated. And Dwight was now living aboard his luxurious yacht, the Afia. <laughs> In San Pedro. It It is spelled A-A-F-J-E. It's a Dutch word, which means one of the magical beings. 
The off year was a 65, according to some resources, and maybe 58-foot schooner Schooner. that was built in 1922. What's a schooner? It has sails? Yes. So I have pictures. I need a mental picture. No, I have have pictures for you. A schooner is a sailboat. What is that from? (laughs) Mall rats. Okay. (laughs) And of course, as always, we will put, I'll put photos of the Ophir and... uh, Help us, Lori. I know. Photos of... uh, a, f- a few a few <laughs> we tried to but but wait jen you said he was living on it in san pedro yes okay so yeah. okay so here's the Ophia. it's like a big that's a schooner oh, that's that's so multiple boat. sails yes so wow, that's cool. the actual right. ship we are it's referred to as a schooner sometimes it's referred to as a yacht sometimes it's referred to as a ship i don't know somebody smarter than me and more uh that knows more You're about. our nautical expert if I you know. can't tell us. I know. I'm sorry. This is the level <laughs> of expert. It up. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, interesting it's though because when you think yacht you don't I don't think that but I guess it makes sense for the 20s. Like yeah. a sailing yacht. Yeah. yeah. Ilopedia hmm. refers to it as a 65 foot schooner. So. I love that website. I know. That's cool. What is I it? referenced Ilopedia? it a lot in What's, this episode. Um, it's all about the Channel Islands. What? It's the um, the the one that I told about Santa Cruz Island, mm-hmm. I got a lot of info from that yeah. website. Cool. Super cool. Um, so, so Dwight's living down in San Pedro um, on his yacht. And he has a woman named Gertrude Turner in his life. She's referred to as his mistress. Uh, because from what I could see, I don't think Dwight and Etta had legally divorced mm-hmm. at this time. But then... Gertrude is also referred to as his fiance. So I don't know if like they were working on, he was working on ending his mm-hmm. marriage with Edda so that he could marry Gertrude. Mm-hmm. Um, Gertrude had an eight year old son named Bobby Turner, Robert, but went by Bobby from a previous marriage. And in December of 1937, Dwight meets 28 year old Jack Morgan down at the Harbor. Jack has always t- or tells, tells Dwight, He's always had dreams of life on the sea. He hangs out around the uh, the harbor. Like. Is this the Captain Morgan yeah. guy? <laughs> so, uh, and Jack is looking to find work uh, on a on a as, ship as a pirate. As a pirate <laughs> in well, marketing he, materials. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Jack tells. So so Jack's story is that he like he wants to get back out working on a ship. Um, story. Yes. Hmm. That's that's when he meets Dwight. That's what he says. That's his story, and he's sticking to okay. it. Uh, but before he, sh- he, so basically, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting a job. I'm gonna, you know, I've, I've worked on ships before, and you know, like I came down, <laughs> moved out to California so that I could get back out on a ship. Huh. But uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I have this job, <laughs> but it doesn't start yet. But before I go, he asks if he can charter the off year to take Lillian, his 17-year-old pregnant common-law wife, uh, out on a trip to the islands for Christmas. We don't have common-law spouses, but maybe we did then. Yeah, that's how she was... Ref- I mean... Or yeah. they're from somewhere else, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're from... They moved out from New Orleans. Oh, okay. Uh, Jack and Lillian. Poor Lillian. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. 
So uh, Dwight agrees, and they make plans uh, for him to charter the yacht. On December 20th, 1937, the off-year... Off-year... <laughs> the F-U. The, the F-U. the schooner. The schooner the <laughs> leaves the coast of Long Beach carrying Jack, Lillian, a nurse, Ellie Burden, who they had hired to care for Lillian during the trip. Hmm. Oh, because uh, she's... Because she's pregnant. pregnant. Okay. She's a teenage pregnant woman and so i they they were only planning on going out to catalina Mm -hmm. for like the day and then turning around and coming back so they were only planning on being gone two days i'm not sure exactly why they needed to hire a nurse Hmm. i don't know maybe Maybe she was was like super pregnant yeah i don't know Um, yeah she was so those two the nurse dwight so i'm not sure why like they (laughs) chartered the boat but for some reason dwight gertrude and her son bobby all come along too yes And so it's it's Jack, Lillian, Ellie, the nurse, Dwight, Gertrude, her eight-year-old son, Bobby, and two crew members who worked for Mr. Falding, Robert Horn and George Spurnak. Spurnak is a great name. Is a name. Yes. How do you spell that? S-P-U-R-N-A-E-R-N-A-K. Hmm. Oh. Spurnak. Yeah. Cool. I like it better when I... When it was a U. When it was a U. Yeah. Um... <laughs> The trip is Lillian's first time ever at sea. Oh, good. Oh, honey. (laughs) Now, the coolest part of having a personal connection to this story is that one day, a photocopy of a hand-typed letter was left for me on my desk. It was written by Lillian and tells the story of her life leading up to and including this trip. It's fascinating, and I'm going to share some excerpts from this letter with you as we go along. Nice. Hey, what do you think of... Sometime reading the whole letter out, and we could post that. <laughs> so yes, uh, we are going to. We discussed earlier that. No, I just came up with the oh, idea yes. right now. That's a fabulous idea. You know what? What if after this, as a bonus, we could do like a t- part two, and I could read you this whole amazing letter. What a swell idea! <laughs> that sounds really cool. <laughs> I like it. Boy, howdy. So here's a quote. We're going to let Lillian tell us about uh, how she felt about this trip. Lillian writes, like, this letter is so great because she writes like she has, uh, she writes it like, like quotes people. Uh-huh. It's great. So here we go. This is going to be jolly, exclaimed Falding, as we all crowded into the off-air's cockpit and her, her master offered us brandy. Especially for me, I spoke up, for I've never been to sea before. After a round of drinks, Falding said to Jack, All set for shoving off? All set except for something I left on the dock, Jack replied, and he left the boat. Returning a moment later with a lovely little Christmas tree and a box of tinsel and bright ornaments to decorate it with. What? This is just for you, Lil, he announced, and everyone was delighted at this lover's tender thoughtfulness. I had never known him quite so gallant and sweet. Hmm. Could I just say, okay, how I'm picturing Falding, have you ever seen Jeeves in Worcester? Yes. So I'm, I'm picturing him as Bertie Worcester, like just real dumb. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No? Okay. No. Okay, Are I'm you sure? Because sh- yes. like Tell the me- plane stuff. <laughs> and right. the- Tell me what this is. Jeeves and what? Jeeves and Worcester. It's like it's Hugh, it has uh, Hugh Laurie yeah. and Stephen Fry, and that like is the it, TV adaptations are amazing, but they're it's from a series of short stories about like like Worcester or like oh no W O O S T. Thank you. It's 
they're based on these stories and books by P.G. Woodhouse, huh. which is uh, coincidentally spelled W-O-D-E house. Um, I'm not familiar with They're this. just about like upper class twits kind of, but like okay. lovable ones, but like just too much money uh-huh. and like doing weird stuff like this and having no like sense that maybe this person <laughs> who's like... Or chartering the boat is not a, is, a good guy yeah <laughs> so here's dwight here's a yeah, picture just oh. like <laughs> <laughs> i think he's just kind of one of those like life's been like life's been pretty good to him yeah he's just happy-go-lucky like he seems like a pretty you know like a good guy hmm. okay um like it was less that he was like didn't know any better uh-huh. Then he was just like, "Yeah, that sounds like a like it sounds like a party. Let's do it. Let's hmm. take Lillian out to the islands. Yeah, it'll be great. You know." Yeah. Um. So. So yeah. So they they're about to leave. It's December twentieth, and he's like, "I got a little present for you." He brings a little Christmas tree out. It's very sweet, right? <laughs> so this sounds really sweet, but it's really out of context without the first part of the letter, which documents the story of how Lillian grew up in New Orleans under difficult circumstances. At age 12, she met and married her 18-year-old first husband, <gasps> became pregnant, and then had to leave her baby with her mother-in-law to raise after he left her for somebody else. Oh, my gosh. She then got a job, gained her independence, and was getting her life on track. Then, by chance, she was asked to join a friend for a blind date where she met Jack, another older man, who tells her he was a navigator on a ship, but had to leave because he suffered from fits of fainting spells. And at this point, she's how old? She's like 15, I think, when they met. Oh, baby. They immediately rush into a tumultuous affair where his jealousy permeates everything, and he beats her in a fit of rage before moving her to California with him to pursue his dreams of following in the seafaring footsteps is it footsteps if it's on the ocean? Like following <laughs> yeah. following his wake, I guess. <laughs> of his supposed ancestor and possible inspiration for the spiced rum, famed pirate Henry Morgan. Oh, come on, dude. Oh. <laughs> no. I don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the off year. The group heads out towards Catalina Island and is having a grand old time on board for the first couple hours. So Proceed. I'm going to let Lillian tell it again. Okay. Two hours later, after gay laughter and jokes and several drinks apiece, we found ourselves in the midst of a lone, laden swells of the gray sea. The sun was setting and night was creeping up from the east. Something about the sea and the sky seemed ominous, foreboding. Jack had disappeared in the cabin. Falding was at the wheel. We were with Falding in the cockpit when Jack suddenly appeared on deck. He strode toward us with a black, menacing look on his face. Then he reached into his shirt and snatched out a gun. Involuntarily, I put my hand to my mouth to stifle a scream. Some of the others laughed. Morgan the pirate bold, someone joked. I wanted to scream. Watch out, he's mad, really mad now, and he may do anything. But fear had me by the throat and I made no sound. Get out of this cockpit and back up, Jack ordered. Get back and stay back. The wild gleam in his eyes convinced the others he was not joking, and we all moved away except for Falding, who was at the wheel. You've had too much to drink, Morgan, the Ophia's master said. Better be careful with that gun. I'll show you whether I'm drunk, Jack shouted. He took aim and fired. The bullet struck Falding in the right shoulder. 
Mrs. Turner screamed and started to run to him, but Jack turned on her quick as a flash. Stay where you are if you know what's good for you. With blood streaming down his arm, Falding staggered to his cabin and got a gun. From the, the companionway of the engine room, he opened fire on Jack. We heard the shot as we crouched together on the deck to keep out of range. Although we were unable to witness the gun battle, we knew Jack had been had not been struck. My pirate mate swore as the bullets whizzed past him. He took careful aim, the aim of the crack shot he was, and fired two shots at Falding. Both shots hit the off-jay's owner, but Falding kept on firing. I have never known a braver, more courageous man than Dwight Falding. Badly wounded as he was, he wouldn't surrender his ship. There was a moment's lull, and then one more shot rang out. The heavy fall of a body and Falding lay dead. That is wild. Yeah. This is so stupid. Like, why? Why did he? Did he? Was he stealing the boat so, so he could like get away very slowly in a very identifiable vehicle? <laughs> what? So after Jack kills Dwight, he eventually tosses him overboard. Oh my god! Tosses his body <sighs> overboard off of San Clemente Island, and he set sail south towards Mexico. <laughs> like with Dwight's lady and yeah, so her I don't, son. I don't quite understand his thinking. Like yeah. apparently he thought he would just like steal the boat and then go off to be like a pirate of the South Seas. Oh my god! Like not thinking that he has like a pregnant woman and like a child and another like four other people on board. So I'm not sure. I don't know whether his plan was just to like eventually kill them all off. Wow. So since the plan was to only visit Catalina for a day. The boat is only stocked with enough food for two days. Lillian says in her letter that the amount of food was actually plenty because none of them could stomach to eat. They yeah. were all so anxious and scared. Oh so for four days, they travel south while Jack slips further and further into madness, ordering them around, threatening them with the gun, abusing and manhandling the crew. And at one point, he takes Ellie, the nurse, down below deck for two hours oh, no. and tries to rape her but she fights him off and shockingly he eventually brings her back up unharmed <laughs> Lillian is rightly like what the actual fuck <laughs> and she's and she says in her letter that in response he kicks her in the head so hard she's left partially deaf in that ear oh my god during this time poor Mrs. Turner begs him to let her take her son in the rowboat but he won't let them leave thankfully Bobby doesn't actually realize the danger that they're all in and he runs around the ship calling Jack Captain <laughs> he's like woohoo oh, we live at yeah. sea now <laughs> However, the crewmates, George and Robert, have been keeping a careful watch on Jack to find any opportunity to overpower him. Uh, By the time Christmas Eve rolls around, at about 8.30 at night, Jack sets his gun down for just a moment to light a cigarette, and they have their chance. And again, in Lillian's words, I was down below when Bob came to me and said gently, Jack fell overboard. That, <laughs> that wasn't the whole story, I knew, but I just closed my eyes and nodded. Even in that first grief, I never blamed Bob and George. They had to do it. It was Jack's life against six other lives, for I am certain he would have killed us one by one. Afterwards, I found out what happened. The three men were in the cockpit. Jack put down his gun to roll a cigarette. In that split second, George grabbed a marlin spike and slugged <gasps> Jack on the head. They didn't know if he was dead or not, but they didn't take any chances. They picked him up and tossed him overboard. Good for them. Wow. Yeah. You'd think with Jack gone, they'd be safe and sound. 
But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. No, what now? (laughs) (laughs) So once again, we're going to go back to Lillian. The next day was Christmas. The dreariest, saddest Christmas of our lives. George and Bob had turned the boat around and we were heading towards Los Angeles. Jack and his gun were gone, but our dangers were not over. We ran into a terrific storm. Our little schooner was battered and buffeted about like an eggshell. The mainsail was ripped to pieces and it took all our efforts to keep the boat from foundering. We women had to pitch in and help, the salt water lashing our faces as we tried to mend the sail. It was a miracle we didn't go under, but finally the gale blew itself out and the ocean was calm and peaceful again. There was still another catastrophe. Little Bobby had been put to bed during the storm. When Mrs. Turner went to awaken him, she thought he was dead. He had been overcome by carbon monoxide fumes from the offshore's engine, and we worked over him for two fearful hours before we revived him. Oh my gosh. Wow. For six days, we drifted, using our supplies sparingly. We were very low on fuel. The gasoline gave out, and we made a mixture of cup grease and fuel oil. When that was gone, our last resort was olive oil. (sighs) At first, we tried to joke at our plight, but our nerves and our minds were at the cracking point. We had hoisted distress signals of red and white flags. On what was left of our sail, we had painted SOS. It seemed that help would never come, that we were doomed to death after all. At last, early on the morning of December 13th, 10 frightful days after we set, we steep, sorry, I'm going to try that again. (laughs) At last, early on the morning of December, yeah, she says 13th, but that's like they went back in time. Yeah. Was it January 13th? Yeah, I bet that. Was it that long? I don't know. It's like two weeks, more than two weeks. It says 10 frightful days after we steamed out of the harbor. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's probably 30th. If they left on the 20th. A Navy plane passed over. We waved wildly and (sighs) shouted ourselves hoarse as though we could be heard. We were delirious with joy when the plane circled down and lighted alongside. Our story must have sounded fantastic, for when the Coast Guard cutter came, notified by the pilot, officers boarded our little boat with drawn guns. We were towed back to San Pedro Harbor. As we went ashore, I took one last look at the offier where my pirate mate had ruled so briefly and cruelly. My eyes filled with tears, for there, in a forgotten corner of the deck, was my Christmas tree, wilted and untrimmed. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, once the boat was towed into San Pedro, the passengers were offloaded. Lillian, George, and Robert were taken straight into custody. Lillian as an accomplice to Jack, and George and Robert for Jack's murder. What? So they refer in like all the re- the stuff that I read, they refer to Jack's murder as the second encounter. <laughs> and it's very clear that they were like, okay, like everyone on board is kind of like, oh yeah. And then there was this other thing that <sighs> happened. Uh, and sadly, Jack died. Jack <laughs> perished. And everyone's like, oh, that's really too bad. Yeah. Like it's all very kind of like eventually it's pretty clear that everyone was just kind of like, we're just going to. Yeah. So like we get it. (laughs) So Ellie's sister, the nurse Ellie's sister had reported her as kidnapped when she hadn't returned after two days. Good job. So the FBI um, actually was involved and they set up a crime scene and had the ship locked down for their investigation as soon as it arrived. Obviously, Ellie came back, but like right. her sister knew that they were only going to be gone two days. And when she didn't come back, she was like, uh, excuse me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so eventually Lillian and the two men were cleared of all charges. Okay, good. <laughs> Remember when I mentioned a prisoner at San Ken- 
Quentin? Yes. Well, after the news breaks of the murder at sea, a former cellmate comes forward and tells authorities that Jack Morgan confided in him that he's actually a 40-something-year-old named Jean de Jarnet. Probably not Jarnet. I don't know. Jean de Jarnet. Okay. (laughs) He was born to French and German parents in Nicaragua and brought to California in 1910, where he ran off to sea two years later. He then roamed around the world doing crime, and he was eventually charged with rape and sent to a reformatory in California before being released. Okay. Charged again with rape and carrying a concealed weapon and sent sent to San Quentin. Okay. It was just after his release from there that he took out duplicate Siemens papers under the names Wes S. Glenn and Jack Morgan and then headed to New Orleans where he went on a date with 17-year-old Lillian. Wow. (sighs) Holy moly. Ew, right? Super, super ew. Yeah. So you're probably... like the productivity of that. (laughs) I'm impressed. Yeah. I mean, I don't approve of it, but he got some stuff (laughs) done. Determined to be a pirate. Oh my gosh. Yep. I love that he tried to be like my ancestor, Captain Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) So you're probably wondering, but what of the off year? No, but okay. Well, as soon as the FBI released her, the creditors arrived to collect on behalf of the shipbuilders who Dwight had financed through and immediately put a lien on it. The lien set forth that between July 25th, 1935 and August 18th, 1937, the libelants had furnished materials and supplies to Falding valued at $5,916.68. Okay. So the boat was auctioned off and sold... For $6,905 to Lewis Stunson, enough to pay off the creditors. Mm -hmm. Okay. The same month that it was auctioned, True Detective Mysteries issued a book about the crime. Oh, that's that same magazine. Yep. Um, um, What was her name? That you you bought. Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I uh, I didn't actually find the copy of that, but somewhere out there, there's a copy of True Detective Mysteries about this they did like a one-off on it or something that's so cool yeah so nicknamed the death yacht which is not as not as good as streetcar named expire (laughs) yeah the offier went on to lead an interesting life star of stage and screen robin hood himself errol flynn was interested in buying it when it was auctioned after the murders just because he was into weird stuff i guess uh but he ended up passing he was like no, he also was a big sailor. Yeah. Like, I told you the thing about um, the day that the coup happened in Cuba. Errol Flynn just, like, oh, stopped yeah. by on his, yeah. like, I guess, schooner or whatever and was like, hey, Castro. Like, he's in all the photos from, like, coup day. So weird. It's insane. So maybe he wanted that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So one of the quotes said, it's melodramatic history appealed to his sense of adventure. So I think he was just kind of like, yeah, let's do it. Like, that sounds cool. Might as well have a death schooner. Exactly. (laughs) It was later owned by a screenwriter named John Tainter Foote, who wrote (laughs) The Story of Seabiscuit. Oh. And uh, Six Degrees of Santa Barbara. The uh, later made movie Seabiscuit was filmed up in uh, by Lompoc at La Parissima Mission. Oh, really? Oh, funny. I never saw that. At one point, while moored in Santa Monica, uh, the Offier 
caught fire and the crew was badly burned inside. So it kept the name. I was wondering. It yeah. I know. <laughs> like you'd re- well, I guess if you bought it because of the notoriety, you'd keep yeah. the name. But. Yeah. So the crew escaped, but they were badly burned. Oh, no. Uh, then someone stole it and took it for a joyride and crashed it into three other boats. <gasps> How is stealing what? schooners? I cannot get over this. Like, it's got to be like the slowest. Right. Dumbest thing to steal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. After changing owners multiple times, it eventually ended up being bought by Travis Ashbrook in 1970, who was the leader of the psychedelic hippie group Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Oh, okay. we love those. <laughs> they took it on a drug smuggling run through the Panama Canal to Maui, filled with 6,000 pounds of the finest Mexican marijuana. Okay. Then it sort of just disappeared. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like we said, Dwight's family still lives in Santa Barbara, although the hotel that still bears their name was purchased by Santa Barbara Community Housing Corp. Oh. And is currently being used to provide permanent supportive housing. Cool. Yeah. So you can't really stay there as a hotel now. Right. Okay. Right. Like a, a housing uh, facility. I'm not sure what became of Gertrude and Bobby. Though, from what I could find, it looks like Bobby passed away in 2012, which Aww. seems like a long life. Wow, yeah. I hope the bulk of it was less dramatic than the early years. Yes. Uh, to wrap this up, I'm going to... Well, I originally I was going to say I was going to read you the first paragraph of Lillian's letter, which she wrote right after the trip at age 17. The letter was written before she even had a chance to have the baby that wow. she was pregnant with. So... Um, I tried to find any reference as to whether it was something she used at her trial as a defense or if she just needed to get it off her chest and or like for posterity. I tell you what, it sounds like a book proposal to me. <laughs> yeah. But she wrote it to the Faldings or who? I don't know. Yeah, like who is That's it the thing. I, I don't know how so interesting. they got it. I, tr- I tried to like, I tried to find a copy of it online to see uh-huh. if it was like published mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, but it wasn't so um so actually we talked about yeah i think what we're gonna do is i'll just read you i think mm-hmm. it's it's so good that yeah, it's just read the whole thing. fascinating cool as an entire in its entirety so yeah look forward to that next week yeah so yeah. what we're gonna do is uh just end it here and then uh i'll read you the letter okay do we want to Oh, that's awesome. Magic eight ball. So I like a lot of the articles that I read about this, like there was speculation. Like, so they asked Bob and George, um, like, (laughs) where exactly were you guys when you tossed Jack overboard? Yeah. Because they wanted to find out, like, you know, could he have survived it? Because they said that they didn't know if he was alive or dead when they chucked him. Okay. Um, There was also some things where it was like, oh, he fell. You know, like it was yeah. very much like, let's just not talk about what happened. Yeah. Hey, did they ever so find either did, body? Did Jack survive? That I don't know. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we want to ask the Magic 8-Ball if Jack survived. Continue on his pirating ways yeah. under a, a different name. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Let's see. Yes, definitely. Oh, <laughs> Captain Morgan. <laughs> continues <laughs> wow that is such a wild story yeah gosh yeah that was good okay so yeah that's it for that's today it. <laughs> bye <laughs> see you next time bye mom thanks for listening to the ghoul's guide to santa barbara like and subscribe on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ghoul's Guide to SB. Our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Got a spooky story or know of a haunted or paranormal location in Santa Barbara? Send it to us at ghoulsguidetosb at gmail.com.